believe that leadership isn't a position or a role, it's an action and a choice. I believe that leadership can be learned. I believe that great leaders emerge from adversity. I believe that Happy Valley is full of great leaders. These are their stories. Welcome to the Penn State Leaders Podcast. Today I've got, I've got Dr. Kevin Black, uh, the Dean of the College of Medicine. So welcome, Kevin, to the Penn State Leaders Podcast. Thank you, Dave. So first, let me uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you got to Penn State, and what your role is here at Penn State. Uh, happy to, Dave. I am currently the Interim Dean uh, of Penn State College of Medicine and Physician in Chief of Penn State Hershey Medical Center. My clinical background is orthopedics. My uh, first six years of uh, the first six years of my career were at the Medical College at Wisconsin, where I started the sports medicine program. And then I came to Hershey in 1993. I became interim chair of uh, the Department of Orthopedics and Rehabilitation in 2001, and then became chair of that department in 2002. And then July 1, 2019, became interim dean of the College of Medicine. Okay. That's a, that's a long time as a department head. That's, uh, <laughs> is that normal or is that uh, unique? Uh, I think it is somewhat unique. Uh, it is in part related to the fact that I became an orthopedic department chair at a uh, relatively young age. Uh, and, and we were very, very fortunate to have the department grow uh, significantly over the years. And, and in reality, I had not anticipated moving into the dean's office. I, I, I thought that the remainder of my career would really uh, finish out as, as leading the orthopedic department. But... Uh, sometimes doors open and uh, you, you make a decision as whether you're going to walk in that door. Yeah, absolutely. So as you think back on your leadership journey, um, you've been in a leadership, significant leadership role for a long time uh, at Penn State. You know, what person or people have influenced you the most in that journey? I, I think there are some people that uh, in, in my personal life, that were tremendously influential. Uh, and, and then th there are two people that jump out uh, in my professional life. And no question in my, in my personal life, it, it would be my parents. And uh, they, and, and I did not appreciate it really un until I became an adult uh, it, or the significance of it, I, I, I really should say. but. Uh, I grew up in a in a very blue collar family, and my parents unfortunately had to deal with an awful lot of diversity, uh, not diversity, uh, awful lot of adversity uh, in, in their life. Uh, and and there were economic challenges. There were major health challenges in the family. And uh, I I knew when I was younger. Uh, that it was very difficult on my parents at that time. 
but I, I don't think that I appreciated uh, their, their perseverance uh, and, and their commitment to giving uh, their children uh, opportunities that they did not have. Uh, and I, I don't think there's any question in my mind that uh, what I learned from them, one of the many things I learned from them is, is commitment to others and, and putting the needs of others uh, ahead of yourself. Uh, professionally, there, there are two individuals that continue to be mentors of mine. Uh, one uh, is Dr. Mac Everts, who had been my orthopedic department chair when I was a resident in Rochester, New York. And six months after I finished my residency, Dr. Everts became the dean of Penn State College of Medicine and is one of the major reasons that I came to Penn State. Uh, he, he is a person that, uh, while on one hand, uh, personifies achievement and, and I think has assumed every leadership role that one can assume in the orthopedic profession, he was also somebody that could speak with uh, people from all walks of life and, and treated everybody with the same level of respect, re regardless of the initials behind their name and, and, and what kind of work they did or where they came from. Uh, the, the other would be my, my fellowship director, Dr. John Bergfeld, who, when I did my sports medicine fellowship, orthopedic sports medicine was a new field uh, in North America. And uh, Dr. Bergfeld was uh, one, of, one of the leaders in the world uh, in advancing orthopedic sports medicine. Uh, I, I remember many things that he said to me uh, about uh, the need to be honest with everybody, the need to pay attention to detail, the need to prepare. But much like Dr. Everts, he treated everybody with tremendous respect and, uh, and as a result, they, throughout their career, they have been two of the most admired and beloved uh, men I, I have ever known. So I just consider myself so blessed to have had the opportunity to learn from them professionally, but, but also uh, see what it means to be a true leader. So it's interesting you talked about um, their ability to relate with people and respect for people. What is it? Um, it's almost, it's, it may seem like a silly question, but when people do that, what, what is it that you think draws people toward that want to follow someone like that? Uh, I, I think for me personally, it, it just resonated with my background. Uh, and, and those it's, those, those people that are in, uh, that are not as, as advantaged uh, socially or economically, uh, uh, you know, deserve the same kind of respect as, as any other human being. Uh, I, I think we forget that people come 
uh, from different backgrounds and they have had different opportunities. And, and when, I, when I saw how they were treated by the dean of the medical school or by the chair of the department or by the team physician for all of the sports teams in Cleveland at that time, you, you, you could just see how much it meant to them that they were valued by somebody in such a high profile position. So, so I think you do it because it's the right thing to do, but I think it's also really important to recognize how you can impact somebody's day, regardless of what they do for a living by showing them how much you appreciate and value them. Yeah, that's absolutely. I think that's absolutely correct. I love how you then tied that into your background too, what it meant for you. Um, and I think there's also, there's an element of humility in there, right? Here is someone in a very formal leadership position, a lot of responsibility, highly educated, you know, would be considered an elite of our society, but yet treats everyone uh, the same, uh, regardless absolutely. of position. Right. Yeah, that's great. So you've, you've hit a little bit on this, talking about your childhood, maybe some of your parents' adversity. Can you talk a little bit about maybe your own adversity that you've been through in your life and how that's influenced how you lead? Well, I think, sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. I think uh, whatever happens to us in our childhood, to some degree, uh, frames us or prepares us for, for what comes later in life. And uh, Kipling said the child is the father of the man. I, I would say it's also the mother of the woman. But I, I think uh, th those experiences that we have in early in life where you, you learn to become more independent, uh, and you see how people might struggle and overcome those struggles, I think are, are really, really important. And, and I think those experiences uh, for me through high school and I, and I would say into college, uh, when I saw my parents go through so much within my family, uh, yet, yet overcome it, I, I think somehow became etched in, in my mind uh, as, as it is important for us when we are, when our, when we are dealing with challenges uh, to never quit. Uh, I, I would say that for me personally, there were a few uh, situations that, that, that jump out. Uh, one was when I became chair of the orthopedic department, which happened on very short notice. And at that time, I was, I was still pretty early in my career. I had been in practice for uh, 14 years at that time uh, and really did not have plans to become a chair. It, it, I, I was not someone that, uh, had aspirations to be a chair. And, uh, and obviously that, that changed, but, the, but there are some people that from the, the time their career starts have a vision of a ladder that they want to climb. 
And, and that, that was not how I approached it. I wanted to take care of my family. I wanted to be a good doctor. I wanted to be a good educator. And I wanted to advance the field of orthopedics via scholarship. And, uh, and, and my, my thought was what, what happens beyond that happens. Uh, so when, when I became interim chair of orthopedics, it was really on 30 days notice when the chair at that time, who is, was and is a very good friend of mine, announced on 30 days notice that he was leaving. But there was a lot of unrest within the department at that time, and there was a lot of unrest within the medical center at that time. And, uh, and, and really my, my greatest challenge at that point was holding the department together, both to care for patients that we were caring for, but also to provide the educational experiences we needed to provide for our residents and for our medical students. Uh, so, so that was a, a, a phenomenal growth experience for me. And then, you know, probably the, the last great challenge, or I would say most significant challenge, was related the, to the transition to the interim dean role, which, which once again was on relatively short notice. But it was not just a transition into a new role, it was a transition into a new role when the responsibilities of the dean became separate from the responsibilities of the CEO of the clinical enterprise. And, and there was significant concern within the organization related to that. And not long after moving into that role, uh, COVID hit. And, and so I was about perhaps nine months into it. And, uh, you know, the, the, the need to work not only with people on the campus of the College of Medicine and the Medical Center, but colleagues uh, in across the university to pr provide a, a safe educational environment and a safe work envir environment for our, our students, our faculty and our staff uh, was a tremendous challenge. And obviously at this point we are we are still working through that. As you moved into these leadership roles, you know, you said you didn't have plans to be in department chair. Were you thinking about leadership ahead of that? Or was that the first time that you really felt like you were recognized as a leader and now we're stepping into that role? Did it feel like something new or was that like something that was a natural progression for you personally, even though you weren't planning for that role? I suspected that uh, there was an element of this that was in my DNA. So that when I completed my fellowship, uh, I, I knew that I wanted to take a leadership role in sports medicine. And I, and I wanted to develop my own sports medicine program. So I don't know that I thought to myself at that time that I want to be a leader, but I, I very much remember thinking that, that I wanted to build a program.
program. So I, so I think there was an element of it that was in my DNA. Uh, I don't know exactly when this started to happen in my career, but I, I think it was probably shortly before I became a chair that uh, I became, uh, I, I had the opportunity to uh, participate in some leadership uh, programs uh, via the American Orthopedics Association, which is the leadership society of orthopedics. It's the oldest uh, orthopedic society in the world, founded in 1887. So there were some programs that the American Orthopedics Association was putting on uh, in association with the Kellogg School at Northwestern, and then subsequent to that uh, at the Booth School at the University of Chicago, uh, that, that I attended and, and enjoyed. And somewhere around that time frame, uh, I found myself reading more and more uh, about leadership. And uh, so, so I think it, it probably preceded me moving uh, into the role uh, as, as an orthopedic department chair by a little bit. But uh, it, the, the timing was great in that the more uh, I, I learned about leadership and, and appreciated what the opportunity was to, to learn more and to help myself become a better leader, uh, the more interested I became in it. And uh, I, I, I very much believe that while there is some genetic makeup to leaders and, and the experiences you have in life can help prepare you to be a leader in some way, uh, that leadership skills can almost, can, can always be learned. It, and it, and is, I don't think it's much different than skills as an athlete. I, I think people have certain genetic advantages. Uh, but you don't truly excel or achieve your, uh, your, your potential without working hard at it, your ultimate potential. And I think leadership is the same way. And uh, so, so for me, I would say it's, it's been maybe a 20 year experience, maybe a 25 year experience where I, I, felt, I felt a calling to it and, and, and became passionate about learning more about it. That's interesting. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, that's one of the premises of this podcast is that anyone can be a leader and it can be learned. And that's one of the reasons that I want to share leadership experiences of Penn State's leaders with other people so they can learn from those experiences. Um, are there any books or podcasts? I mean, you've studied leadership for many years and you said you kind of had that spark in you um, going through that training program. Anything you would recommend to people who want to develop their leadership skills? And it could be activities they do or, you know, how, how can someone begin to fulfill some of that maybe spark in them to be a leader? Yeah, I, so I, I have found the greatest uh, value in, in self-study and in reading. And 
it, it is not too dissimilar uh, from, from applying what you read to, to your work. And it is, it is not too dissimilar from, from being a surgeon. So you, you, you can't learn how to be a surgeon by reading a book, but you do need to read the book and, and you need to read the, the literature so you know the technique, but you also need to apply it. You need to have those real life experiences. Otherwise, uh, you're, you're reading, and, and, but you're not, you're not applying it in, in the context of your life. So, so for me, I was incredibly fortunate to, uh, to, to have opportunities to, to read and reflect and think about how I could apply what I was reading uh, uh, to, to my responsibilities and, and to my leadership roles. Uh, so there are all, all kinds of, of books that, that I have read and it, it, some of them, uh, some of them are, are more inspirational uh, than anything else. So, so uh, uh, Nancy Cohn's book on uh, uh, Forged in Crisis, where she speaks about Ernest Shackleton and Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, uh, Rachel Carson, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, all re remarkable stories about individuals that, that stepped up at a time that was really, really critical. Uh, a, another book that I find uh, really inspirational is Doris Kern Goodwin's book on leadership in turbulent times where she describes, tells the story of Abraham Lincoln, Tenny Roosevelt, FDR, Lyndon Johnson. But what I really enjoyed about that book is that it, you developed insights into the challenges that, that those individuals face early in their professional careers and, and how they dealt with misfortune, how they had to deal with their own uh, confusion and, and, and apprehensions uh, at, at a time that, uh, you know, they were very, very vulnerable. And, you know, I think everybody who, who has, has taken on significant leadership responsibilities and, and, you know, to, to a, I, I would say for a leadership responsibility, to, to be significant, there has to be some degree of adversity associated with it. So if, if there's no, no adversity, it's almost as if you just need to manage a situation. And I think managers are very different than leaders. And, and I think when you're in those situations, it, it is healthy to question yourself and wonder if you're doing the right thing. And and I don't think that's a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of humility. So, so there are those kinds of books that, that talk about people that I think as great leaders. There are other books I think that are, are more uh, fundamental about uh, operations 
uh, and and I don't I don't when I say fundamental I don't mean in a really simplistic term but they are so key to to being a good leader so uh, Kuzis and Posner wrote a book called the Leadership Challenge I think it's in its sixth edition now uh, which is a data driven book related to leadership and leadership principles where they speak to integrity and competency and how important it is to uh, be able to uh, create a vision and to communicate and inspire others. There's a book written by uh, Patrick Lencioni uh, called Five Dysfunctions, sorry, I was blanking on the name, <laughs> Five Dysfunctions of a Team. A great leadership book. It's, it's, a, it's a short book, it is a fable, but no one can lead in isolation and everyone needs a support network. They need a team around them. And, and whether you're, you're leading on, a, on a, a hospital floor or in the operating room or uh, in a department at, at Penn State or whatever kind of work you're in, people just don't work in isolation. And, uh, and, and you know, it's the team output, the excellence at the team level that, that really drives the outcome. And then there, there are some books that I think are just great books that are that combine personal stories with with real life events. Uh, so Bryce Hoffman wrote a book about Alan Mulally. It's called The American Icon, and uh, and how Alan Mulally uh, rejuvenated. Uh, the Ford Motor Company after decades of, of struggle. And, and one of the things I, 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 I try to take a take home, at least one take home out of every book that I, that I can lodge in my brain. And one of the things that really impressed me about that story was that uh, Alan Mulally had, had no history in the motor vehicle industry. He came from Boeing. And there was a lot of concern at that time about someone from outside the motor vehicle industry coming into Henry Ford. But one of the points that it emphasized to me is that leadership skills are transferable. And, uh, and, and when the recession hit in 2008 and the federal government was bailing out the motor industry, it was the Ford Motor Company that, that did not take a bailout in, in they thrived. So to me, it's, it's a really, really good one. Uh, and then, and, and I am not a military person. There, there's a uh, book written by two Navy SEALs, uh, Willington Babin, called Extreme Ownership. And, and it really, the, the major point, not the only point, is, is really in the title. So if you're in a leadership role, uh, you, you own it. And uh, Nelson Mandela once said that, you know, when you lead, if it's credit, you, you give the credit to other people. But when, when things are going wrong, 
you take that responsibility. And uh, and and I it's it's a really really good book to read that goes beyond ownership, but it it, it speaks to setting a bar of of excellence and holding people accountable and how you uh, deal with with complex situations that where you need rapid decisions but you really don't need you maybe you don't have all the information you need and and how do you how do you make decisions in those kind of situations i i would say there are two other books that i absolutely love and uh and one one is also a a leadership oh sorry it's a book related to the military written by uh, david uh, Marquet called Turn the Ship Around, where he, in, in the space of 12 to 24 months, took, took the, he took over command of the lowest ranked nuclear sub, nuclear attack sub in the U.S. Navy. And within that time frame, it, it became the number one ranked nuclear ship by measures of retention, uh, uh, morale, and, and performance in drills. And, and the principle was he, he got away from a leader-follower mentality and shifted it to what you spoke about before, a leader-leader mentality, and, and emphasized that while you, you need to have competent people, that, that's a given, but if you establish the goals and you have the necessary guardrails, give those people the control as opposed to micromanaging every single thing they do. And, and then my, my last uh, book that I would mention is written by uh, someone named Sam Walker, who uh, I believe was an editor for the Wall Street Journal, is an editor for the Wall Street Journal, but the name Journal, but the name of the book uh, is The Captain Class. And it's a great book that started out as his effort to identify the, the greatest sports teams of all time. But then when he did this, he asked himself the question, so what was it that made them the greatest sports teams of all time? And and then what he identified was that it wasn't the payroll, it wasn't the general manager, it wasn't the coach, it wasn't the size of the market it was playing in. And these were international sports teams. Uh, but it was the captain and the attributes of the captain. And, and the attributes of the captain that were consistent throughout the time that these franchises were the greatest sports franchises of all time were things like humility and, and how they communicated and how they could, number one, they, could, they had strong convictions. They, they were willing to stand by their decisions. They were very, very solid emotionally, but they had this ability to take the individual talents, motivate those that were around them to a, a level of achievement and a level of excellence that they could not have achieved uh, in isolation. So uh, 
you know, they, they, they are books that uh, they're really, really good reads. They all bring different perspectives to leadership. Uh, and, uh, you know, certainly many, many others. That's a great list. I recognized about half of them. So you've given me some things to, uh, to go read. I, I think what was interesting is, you know, some of those books were about the art of leadership you know, and stories about how it's been applied, and then some about the science of leadership, too. Which, right. And you really need to, I think it's helpful to understand both. I'm sure there's plenty of people who haven't had the science part who have been good leaders. But I think when you can kind of marry both of those, understand the concepts and how to how they're applied by different people, I think that makes for a richer kind of development of your, your individual leadership style. Absolutely. And, and, I, and I think, you know, a common theme in all those books is, is the passion of the leader and, it, and the willingness to serve others and their commitment. It's, so so they, all, they all look at it in different ways, but uh, uh, you know, the, boy, the list can go on and on about so many good leadership books out there. Yeah. And it's interesting because you know, this is my, I think, eighth episode that I've recorded, and it's interesting to see some of the themes uh, as diff different people from different walks of life, different ages. I, the last one I just did was uh, John Hara from the basketball team. Um, and, and some of the same themes emerge about leadership and service. Um, parents as, as influences, major influences. And, you know, my, as I talked with John about that, I, I said, you know, I think part of that is the back to the idea of service, right? One of the things we see in great parents is their willingness to sacrifice themselves for what's good in their children, right? And that, that role model of service then flows into someone who's willing to serve others, which, you know, is a key component, you mentioned, of leadership. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we'll just kind of wrap up the, this segment. Um, any, any, do you have any web or social media presence if someone wants to get to know who you are a little more than what they've heard in, in this half hour? Yeah, I, I really don't think. It's, it's funny. So when my kids were younger, and and Facebook was uh, was new, and and they were getting into Facebook, this was you know high school age type thing. Uh, I I got an I had an account. I did. I got an account at that time, more so to, to understand it and to monitor it, and th and then I was pretty comfortable with with the the content and, and what they were doing and. I, and it's funny, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, that I am very much personally, you, you know, when they do these personality inventories and they say, you go into a, part, a room at a party, are you somebody that hangs out with your small group of friends or are you the social butterfly and you're going around talking to anybody? And, and you know, professionally, there are times where I have to turn on that ladder switch, but I am very much somebody that, uh, and, and most comfortable with the people that I know best. And uh, so, so long story short, no, I, I don't have any social media accounts, but uh, you know, if, if somebody wants to reach me via my work email address, you know, good with me. Great. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time and thank you for your leadership and service to Penn State. Hey, Dave, thank you for doing this. I think it is so important. And uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what other people say and what their perspectives are. So 
please let me know when it comes all together. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Happy Valley Leaders Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Give us a review and share us with others. You can follow us on Twitter at HV Leader Podcast and on YouTube at Happy Valley Leaders Podcast. Remember, leadership is an action and a choice. So go be a leader.